This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, tonight we are picking back up from where we left off two weeks ago. Say two weeks. We actually, I'm sorry, say three weeks, <laughs> three weeks ago. So we had our pastor, Pastor Michael Gamble, all the way out from Texas, and he came two weeks ago and did a phenomenal job taking us through the book of Judges, and we looked at the life of Gideon, and then last week I felt compelled by the Spirit to do a part two to that message, and I called Pastor Michael, and I said, man, I'll tell you what, I, I got to do a part two to this. I just, I can't let this go. And so I talked about the torch and the trumpet. And we talked about prayer, we talked about worship, but today we're going to jump back into the gospel of John because this is what the Lord has us in as a church. We're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the gospel of John because I believe that there's power in the gospel. There's power in God's good news for your life. And I want us as a church to be a people of good news. I realize that in 2021, it's very possible that there may be people even here tonight that haven't read the gospel of John before. Now, I'm not here to shame anybody or condemn anybody if you haven't, but I do want to make this invitation to you. Jump into this gospel with us. And if you haven't been here in a few weeks or a few months, go back and watch the messages on YouTube or listen to the podcast, but jump into this gospel with us because this is Christ's invitation to his church to experience him in his word, in and through the story of his life. And I just believe that every time we go to the word, we get the opportunity to meet Jesus afresh. I think some of us could use a fresh encounter with the living Christ, amen? Amen. So that's been our heartbeat for you. And so we're going to pick back up with where we left off three weeks ago in chapter four. So if you have your Bibles, go there with me. We're going to begin right there in chapter four, verse 27. I will have these scriptures up on the screen for you tonight. So fear not. If you need a Bible, you know where to go to get one. Verse 27, and here's what it said. Just then, Jesus's disciples came back. And they marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. They marveled that the Son of God was talking with the creation of God. Anybody, anybody see any issue with this right off the bat? The disciples marveled that Jesus was talking with a woman. And what kind of woman? We know from three weeks ago, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were mortal enemies. Now, it's Halloween, so I got to make a couple references, right? So who, who likes DC Comics? Who likes Batman and Green Lantern and The Flash and Aquaman? All right, who likes Marvel? We got any Marvel fans? Yeah, the Marvel fans always outweigh the DC fans in the room. So as you guys know, each universe kind of has their own pantheon of superheroes, don't they? And each superhero kind of has their own anti-hero, or we could say arch nemesis. In the DC world, Batman has what? The Joker. So the Joker is kind of his, his arch nemesis. It's his, his mortal enemy. And in the same way that the Batman and the Joker go round and round in conflict with each other, we see in the life of the Jewish people this conflict that's been going on for hundreds of years. 
And they go round and round and fighting each other and warring with each other and not allowing Samaritans to come and worship at the temple and not allowing Samaritan women to come and partake of their customs and ways. And so we have this conflict right off the bat. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? He steers clear of the conflict? No, he jumps right into it. And he's like, I'm going to put my finger right where it's going to hurt. Are you ready for it? So verse 27, the disciples see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman at the well, and they can't figure it out. But you see, on the surface, Jesus' disciples are getting hung up on the cultural issues of the day. Cultural issues. Does that sound like anybody else we know? Has anybody seen the church get hung up on cultural issues of the day in 2020 or 2021? Some of you? Okay. You see, what's interesting at this moment is that rabbis or teachers of God's word would tell men not to converse with women in public. They weren't allowed to converse with women in public. Speaking to a woman other than your own wife or child was a big no-no. You don't want to do this. This violated customs and social norms. And here Jesus is conversing with a woman who they couldn't care any less about, but Jesus did. Jesus cared about this woman. He cared about her story. And that's good news for us because that means that he cares about your story as well. And if you're here tonight, I want to tell you this right at the start. Jesus cares about your story. He cares about what you've gone through. He cares about what you've been through. He cares about where you are and where you're going. And here's the cool part. He wants to become the author of your story. He wants to become the author. The Bible says the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what Jesus wants to do. And so Jesus is speaking with this woman who he cares about. And as a result, he crosses racial, he crosses ethnic, He crosses religious and social barriers to reach her, to bring her good news, which brings me to our question. When was the last time you or I crossed a social barrier to bring somebody good news? When was the last time you violated something that somebody told you was a no-no in order to reach someone that Jesus cares about? I want us to think about that. I want to help us maybe articulate this a little bit. We see this in the very next verse. This one encounter that this woman has with Jesus changes everything. It changes the trajectory of her life, all because Jesus was willing to risk his reputation and to go where people said he couldn't go. All because he was willing to do things outside of the box. I wonder what boxes we've put God in that he wants to be free from in our own lives. Did you guys know that God made in the beginning male and female? Did you know that in the beginning he made them both in his image and likeness? So why wouldn't Jesus be talking with his his own creation? Why wouldn't he be talking with somebody for whom he came to live and die for? But this, you see, is the issue that I think we have in our culture today, is we have constructed boxes around where we think God wants to go and where he doesn't. We think that there's some places where we should keep the church out of. Well, hold on a second, Pastor Jason. Are you saying that the church should have a role in government? Absolutely, I am. 
in that you are a person filled by the Holy Spirit who should take the presence of God with them wherever they go. So why wouldn't the church be involved in government? Are you saying, Pastor Jason, that, that the church should be involved in the affairs of the state and our education system? Absolutely. As a spirit-filled person with the presence of God in them, why should we not go where God calls us to go? Why should we not bring people good news? Why should we have to apologize or repent for who we are? I don't see that in history. I don't see that in the record of what the founding fathers set out to do when they came together to create this great experiment called the United States of America. And yet somehow, here's what we've done. We've said, God, you live over here where it's safe, but you don't cross this social barrier because that's a no-no, because this is, this is not supposed to have you in it. So this, we're going to keep this over here, and we're going to keep that over there, and everything's going to be nice and neat. And Right? Don't we do that? What about with our daily lives? How we compartmentalize our faith. Well, Sunday is the day that I go to church. Monday is the day that I go to work. Friday is the day that I party. Isn't Jesus... Doesn't Jesus want to be the Lord over all of it? That's, I believe, the picture that we get from Jesus' encounter with this woman. And here's, here's what I want us to hear, verse 28. So the woman, very next slide, Liam. So the woman left her water jar. She left what she was doing. She went to the well to draw water. And by the time she was done encountering Jesus, <laughs> she'd forgotten all about it meaning what was important to her was no longer important. So she leaves her water jar and she runs into the town and says to the people, verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. All that I ever did. Come and see this man. Can he be the Christ? Can he be the anointed one? Can he be the Messiah? And they went out of the town, the people, and were coming to Jesus, never underestimate the power of one person's story to change the lives of others around it. Never underestimate the impact that good news will have on just one soul that receives it. What was the result of this woman's testimony about Jesus? We see it in verse 39. Many believed, keep going, Liam. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. One person's story changed an entire community. One person's story changed an entire community. It's powerful, which tells me this. One word from Jesus can change everything. One word from Jesus can change everything. Today, the title of my message is this, Taking Jesus at His Word. Taking Jesus at His Word. I want to help us to understand that one word from God can change everything. And we see it happen in the life of this Samaritan woman. We also see it happen in the life of her people. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked Jesus to stay with them, and Jesus stayed there for two days. Jesus is hanging out with the people that he was told not to associate with. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, verse 42, 
It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we now know that this is, this is indeed the savior of the world. Isn't that good? What happened here? What happened here? One word from Jesus changed everything. It changed everything. The text says that many believe, not just some, but many believe because of this word. In other words, many believe because of what Jesus said, not just because of what Jesus did. One word changed it all. So tonight we're going to look at this idea of taking Jesus at his word. I believe this. There are many in our world today that won't believe just because they see it. Uh, they won't believe unless there is even a sign or a, a wonder or a miracle. They need this proof for the existence of God. Met anybody like that lately? I meet them every day. They want something tangible. They want something credible. What they really want is an excuse to remain right where they are. To not have to make a choice to believe. To take Jesus at his word. And didn't we see this in the life of one of Jesus' own disciples? You guys remember the story about Thomas? What happened with Thomas? Jesus had just been raised from the dead. It was after the resurrection. And he reveals himself to the people at the tomb. And then he reveals himself to his friends and disciples but Thomas is last to hear about it, and he says this in John chapter 20, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe it. I will never believe. Unless I could touch it, unless I could see it, unless I could wrap my hands around it, unless I get proof or evidence, I'm not going to believe that. Where's Thomas at? He's stuck. He's stuck in unbelief. And as I've said before, the greatest threat, Liam, next slide, the greatest threat to your faith is not your doubt. It's not your wrestling with the questions that you haven't got answers for yet. That's okay, wrestle away, ask, wonder. It's not a threat to your faith. But you know what it is? Unbelief. Unbelief. Because unbelief is a willing agreement that you make, that you or I make with ourselves and the world not to believe. Do you understand the difference tonight? I know I'm getting riled up here, but Pastor Jason's about to get a little more passionate. Because I'm seeing too many people in our world right now deconstruct their faith to a place of unbelief. And they're stuck in their unbelief. They're stuck in a moment they can't get out of. Because they've made a conscientious agreement not to believe. This is essentially Thomas after the resurrection, after he's been given the good news by his friends and other disciples. I ain't going to believe that. Nope, not going to happen. Do you know that the spirit of the age is wanting to suck you into a position in place of unbelief? The spirit of the age, the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of empire that's warring against our souls is trying to pull us into a position of unbelief where you and I make an agreement, where we make an agreement with the evil one about what he says 
about our life instead of what God says. You see, the enemy, we call him Satan, which means the adversary or the accuser, is the driving force behind the spirit of this age, which means that he wants to see your life destroyed. And as your pastor, I don't want to see your life destroyed. I don't want to see you get sucked into unbelief. But Satan knows that if he can very subtly move you from a position of faith to a position of unbelief, he's won the battle. Which is why we are commanded all throughout the scriptures to stand firm in what? Our faith. Because the evil one is going to do everything in his power to try to get us to fall. That's what he wants to see happen. And we're seeing that happen right now in our culture in a big way, aren't we? So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do about Thomas's unbelief? This is what I love about our Savior. John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. He brings them peace. I love that. Then he says to Thomas, hey, Thomas, hey, over here. I wish I could whistle better. That was pretty weak. Get over here. Come here, Thomas. Put your finger right here and look at my hands and put your hand out and place it in my side. Could you imagine being given the invitation from Jesus to put your hand into his side? Whoop. Put it right in there. But here's the key moment right here, and I don't want us to miss it. Do not disbelieve, but believe. But believe. At this point, you would say, Jesus, that seems a little uh, obvious. He's now seen you. He's put his hands in your, he's put his uh, fingers in your hands and he's put his hand in your side. Why the need to tell him to believe? Certainly at this point, he would believe, right? What did Jesus say? Oh, you perverse and crooked generation, always needing a sign, always needing proof. Could it be that Thomas could have done all these things and still not believed? I think the text leads us to believe that because the very next thing that Jesus tells Thomas is don't disbelieve. Don't get sucked into unbelief, Thomas. Believe. Enlarge your heart for belief. Enlarge your capacity to believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Or blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed. The kingdom has come to many who will never get the opportunity you have right now, Thomas, to believe. Who are never going to be given a sign, never see a miracle, never see a wonder in their life. And yet hold to their faith. That should encourage us tonight. And that's exactly what we see happen with Jesus and the Samaritans. John chapter four, verse 46 to 54. So Jesus came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. I love that the story reminds us of that. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Time out. I don't want to miss this. Why does the text remind us that Jesus made the water wine? Because surely people saw the signs and believed, right? Surely Jesus made water into wine and the whole community got saved, right? Not so fast. 47. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. 
He goes, Jesus, my son's going to die. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Unless I pour out many miracles, you're not going to believe me. And I love the official's response. And it says this in verse 49. So the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He begs Jesus. And Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. The man believed, the text tell us, the, man, the text goes on to tell us, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. One word from Jesus has the ability to change everything. Verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him. And the father knew that that was the exact moment and hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. I'm here to prophetically declare to some of you tonight, you will live and not die. The dream that God has put in your heart will live and not die. The miracle that you're believing for will live and not die. I don't care what the odds are. I don't care how the odds are stacked against you. You will live and not die. And I believe this, that one word can change it all. And this is what we see happen in this man's life. Jesus heals his son. And here's what the text goes on to say. And he himself believed and all his household. Are you guys starting to see a pattern develop here? One word changes everything not just for the man, not just for his son, but even his own household, his community, just like it was with the woman at the well. So it is here in Cana. So Jesus leaves. He goes to Cana. He turns the water into wine. And he, he meets this, this official from Herod's court. And does Jesus say, oh, shoot, oh, no, we, we, better, we better hurry to get down there. It looks like your son's going to die. Does Jesus hustle through the moment? Does he say, come on, disciples, let's go. We better hurry. No, he doesn't. This is Jesus' response, and I don't want us to miss it. Verse 48, unless you see the signs and wonders, you won't believe. What is he getting at here? What's he trying to accomplish? I believe he's getting to the core heart issue regarding the unbelief of not necessarily the man, but the people all around him. You're going to see it here in just a moment. The word you, used here, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The word you that Jesus used here is actually plural in the Greek. It's going to catch on. I just love seeing your faces. The word, go back, Liam, please go back. The word you is plural, meaning that Jesus isn't just addressing the man. He's addressing all the people that are watching. All the people all around, including his own disciples, who are ready to see what this Messiah might do. And I love this. We don't know for sure who was with the official, but most likely because he was official or man of authority and power, he would not have been alone. Additionally, we know from the context of Jesus being in Galilee that his disciples are with him and also those who welcomed him to town. So 
There's more people in this scene that Jesus is speaking to besides the man. And this is important because verse 50 tells us that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. It would appear to contradict what Jesus was saying if Jesus was only talking to the man. You won't believe unless I do a sign or a wonder. And then just a few verses down, the man believed the word. So is Jesus a liar? No. Which means that Jesus was addressing other people in the backdrop of this story, which is why the Greek clues us in on the usage of the word you in the plural form, which is why you need to know your words, people, and study your Bibles. Blueletterbible.org, great place to begin. But this tells me, and this cues me in as the reader, that oftentimes we think the situations that we find ourselves in are just about us. The official had a son who was dying, kind of a big deal. But the story wasn't just about him. It wasn't just about the son being given the gift of life and healing. It was about all the people around watching, listening, getting ready to encounter what Jesus would do next. I love this. Too often than not, we think we're the primary player in God's story And we're actually just a supporting cast member. It it, it is comical. And I think the funny part is that this guy probably thought like this was going to be all about him and all about his son. And yet all around him, it says his whole household believed. His willingness to take Jesus at his word brought salvation to others all around him. That's the invitation for us, church. That when you wake up and you're feeling so sorry about yourself, you're feeling so sorry about what you're going through and how hard it is, that you don't miss the fresh invitation to believe and watch that belief echo and spill and reverberate out to others, where others are invited to experience something about Jesus through your faith through your willingness to take Jesus at his word. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him. I'm going to read it again. He asked him the hour that he began to get better, and they said yesterday at the seventh hour, his fever left him, and the father knew that was when Jesus said, your son will live, and he himself believed it and all of his household. People of God, Jesus' word is powerful. It's powerful. Do we believe that, church? Jesus' word is powerful. It can bring the dead to life. Do we believe that? It can reshape entire cities and communities. It can change the hearts of those that hear. This is why at Courageous Church, one of our core values and practices is to be a people that are rooted in the gospel that are rooted and and built on the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is. And we want to be people of good news. I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick and tired of the bad news that I live with. I'm sick and tired of hearing another story about how it's going to get worse. Anybody else feel me on that? The doom and the gloom and the naysayers, they have their place, but I got to tell you, I'm tired of being inundated with it. I'm tired of my phone's notifications telling me that things are going to get worse. Anybody else just find the news cycle to just be routinely committed to bad news? What is God calling us to be? A people of good news. A people of the gospel 
that, that, that are rooted in good news, that share good news, that are about good news, which is why what you believe about God absolutely matters. For those of you watching online, this is why what you believe about God matters. All these people probably laughing at this official. Dude, don't you know your son's gonna die? He's terminally ill. He's got stage four cancer. Why would you go see that crazy freak prophet Jesus? Why would you go talk to that guy? Why, why would you go risk your reputation as a man of great esteem and great education and great honor? Why would you go and do that? Don't you know that you're gonna make a fool out of yourself? Could you imagine the stories and the, 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 the word in a tight little knit community in, in Cana? Cana's small. It's a little town. Smaller than Salt Lake City, that's for sure. Could you imagine what they said? Jesus, the man says, my son's going to die. And Jesus says, nope, he's going to live. And the man takes him at his word and it changes everything. We encounter people that I'm sure this man had in his life every day. People who don't want to believe unless they can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it. And they're stuck in unbelief, which is why we have got to be people who know how to stand on God's word. So I want to leave us with two points tonight as we close. And here they are. Number one, you've got to stand on God's word. Next slide, Liam. Next slide after that. Keep going. You got to stand on God's word. So I want to ask us this question. Is your trust in what people say or is it in what the Lord has spoken to you? I think we're living in a time where this is going to become even more apparent. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name or the reputation of the Lord our God. I love that. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse seven through eight. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green. And he is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Can I tell you this as your pastor? I believe God is calling you and I to be people that are not anxious. He's calling us to be people that are planted, who are flourishing, who aren't freaked out about what's going to happen tomorrow, but that have their trust anchored in the Lord. Can I be honest? It sure feels like the heat is being turned up in our nation right now, doesn't it? Anybody else feel me on that? feels like uh, we might be facing some drought. feels like we might be facing some withered roots and, and, and leaves and, and a time and season of difficulty and perhaps even persecution. It feels that way. And I believe that God is calling us and, and rather inviting us to stand on his word, regardless of what happens around us. But what does standing on God's word look like despite what's happening? We see it right here. Jeremiah paints a great picture for us. He says, if you're planted, you're going to be watered. You're going to be refreshed. 
You're going to be renewed. If you're planted, your leaves are going to remain green. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love the fall. I love the yellow and the reds and all that. But there's something about when spring breaks forth and everything becomes green again after everything goes brown. He says, you're going to look green. And, and, and on top of that, you're going to have fruit that does not cease to bear it. You're going to have fruit that, that keeps on bearing more and more fruit. It's this beautiful picture of what our lives are supposed to look like when they are rooted in Christ Jesus. That's the invitation. And when we stand on God's word, when we take Jesus at his word, we become rooted. We allow our roots to grow down deep into the soil where God brings nourishment and life and sustenance to us. That's the picture. That's what Jeremiah is pointing us to. So number one, we have to stand on God's word. And then finally, number two, we've got to guard our heart with it. We've got to guard our heart with God's word. And so I want to ask us, are you allowing outside or other influences access to your secret or hidden place? Here's what Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. God, I wish I knew that at 16. God, I wish that I knew that at 20. God, I wish I knew that at 30. Anybody else relate to that? It determines the course of your life. In other words, if you don't like the course you're on, change your heart. Change the way that you're guarding your heart or not guarding it. Proverbs chapter three, verses one through two echoes the same thing. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's an amazing promise, but it's conditional, isn't it? It's conditional upon us not forgetting his teaching and not keeping his commandments. We got to remember and we got to keep the commandments. That's what he's saying here. And I'll say this, a big part of how we guard our heart is by doing this, is not forgetting what he's told us and not applying what he's commanded us to do. The scriptures assure us this, that if we do this, we'll have length of days. That's pretty awesome. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the oldest, like crazy old man, like with great, great, great grandkids running around, you know? I want to wear my underwear on the outside of my pants just for fun to mess with them. But isn't that what we all want? Not the underwear part, but isn't it the life and peace part and the length of days? Isn't that what we all want? Peace and shalom, like the presence and life of God. I, I mean, that's what I want. But I'll, I'll say this, I know so many believers right now that don't have a peace. They're, they're anxious, frantic. Oh, God, what am I going to do? Jesus is saying, this is what I'm inviting you to. Peace, shalom, wholeness, a non-anxious presence in the presence of an anxious world. Can you say that about your life? That when you walk into the room, you're a non-anxious presence or do you stir up gossip and problems and chaos? And, Did you hear about this? Did you see this? Did, uh, what are we going to do? Oh, Delta variant. Uh, 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 uh. Right? Or do, when you walk in the room, do people go, ooh, there's something peaceful about that, Stephen. He just walks in the shalom of God. He's not anxious. He's not in a hurry. He's not in a rush. Guys, that's what I want. I want that to be my testimony. And I hope that's what you want too. 
So the invitation is to do these two things, to guard our hearts. Means not everybody should have access to your pearls. Not everybody should have access to the secret place of your heart. You don't have to put everything on Facebook and Instagram for everybody to see. Hello. Not everybody needs to know that you're worshiping in the secret place on Instagram. Here's my Bible. Here's my coffee. Look at my spiritual life. I'm so awesome. Look how hidden I am. No one can see me. Preaching to the choir or just me? We guard our hearts and we stand on his word. And I think that we have already seen what happens when we don't stand on God's word, right? We've seen a lot of people fall. Ultimately, guys, this is the heartbeat for us as a church, that we would take Jesus at his word. And that's what I want to invite you to do tonight, to take him at his word, to be a person of belief, that your life would radiate with faith, with faith, not just in what he can do, but in what he's already said. Is that your heart tonight? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.